Good morning. Turn with me, will you please, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I work as an instructor to apprentices and journeymen in a trade school. And um, every year this scenario plays out. You see, when the apprentices come for training, it's a work-while-you-learn program. Our program is five years of on-the-job training, and I emphasize that to them, during which time you get three years of training in the school. No way we can touch on everything they could be exposed to in the field. But they have to come to school 40 hours a week for four weeks out of the year for three years. So that's 160 hours out of the year, 480 hours out of the three years. And so they take a test to get in, and it's it's a union trade, and so the wages and the benefits are, are nice, especially if the economy's not that great. And so they're eager to get in. And we make it plain and clear to them, these are the obligations. You're going to come to school for 40 hours, four times a year, for three years, during which time you're not going to get paid. That's all part of the program. Now you'll be eligible for unemployment benefits during that time because there's an arrangement with the state of California. But you're not going to get paid. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, this is a good job. You know, but you get a raise, a 6% raise, every six months <laughs> for five years. So that raise keeps coming. They, they really like that part of it, right? And so, yeah, they got all 100% buy-in. Okay, no problem. Inevitably, around the third year, I get disgruntled apprentices that they have to miss a week worth of wages to come to school. And they're complaining, and they have this attitude. So I find myself plumbing up people's attitudes in the third year. And I said, listen. And I go over this every year, probably every week. I say, you bought into this system. You knew the score. You knew the game when you wanted in. And you were fine with it at the beginning. Nothing's changed. Now you're complaining. That's not right. You knew what you were getting into. And so just go with the program. And stop with a bad attitude, because it could get you kicked out. So sometimes I have to be a little stern. And so, you know, I was thinking about my Christian life, and I was thinking about the Christian life. And um, at the beginning, I didn't know all that I, what I was getting myself into. I don't think anybody does. But you know what attracted me to Christ was worth any price, was worth any sacrifice. Because, and I can remember my first thought, you know, um, I found out, well, of course I knew this, I was a sinner. That was clear from my life. I knew that I deserved to go to hell, but when it said it right in the Word of God, it just made it that much more certain. And then I learned that God loved me so much, He sent His Son to take my sins on His body, on the cross, to die in my place, to pay my penalty, so that He can offer me Eternal life is a free gift. And, it, and when that was explained to me that way, I'm thinking, it was like, wow. I knew this was from God. You know? And this salvation was a free gift. Nothing I had to do to earn it or work for it. I go, wow, that's real grace. 
you know, salvation by grace. And then the question, do you want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And, uh, and, I, and I've said this before, you that know me have heard this before, I can hear a voice inside my head. Yeah, what if he makes you go to Africa wear a grass skirt and tell people about Jesus? You know, that was po- popped into my head. I, don't know, I mean, that's just, that, I mean, call me weird, but that's what it was, right? And, and then about two seconds later, Eric, hello, we're talking eternal life here, heaven. And then I said, yes, I want to accept Jesus. <laughs> when you think about it, you know, heaven, eternal life. Forever. What can compare to that? What can, you, what can you hold out and say, you know what? You really you should weigh this out. It's, it's insane. It's craziness. So I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ at that point. And I can remember I was studying to be a mechanical engineer. And I thought, first thought after that, I, said, well, I don't have to finish school at all. <laughs> Why? Because I'm going to heaven. And I meant that in a good way. I wasn't trying to get out of work because I like school. But I, I thought, it doesn't really matter what I do in this life. It doesn't matter if I get a degree or not get a degree. It doesn't matter if I sweep floors or if I'm an engineer. I'm going to heaven. Wow, that's, that's important. That's the right priorities. It doesn't matter what I do, right? Okay, so that was the truth. And that's a proper perspective. But as a person studies the Word of God and goes through experiences in life, there's a lot more to it that you didn't know when you first received the Lord Jesus Christ. One of them, and and people might ask this, and, you know, I've recognized, I try to look at Calvary from a shepherd's point of view, and I see a lot of reason for encouragement. You know? I see a unity among the deacons and the elders that, to me, it's exciting and it's encouraging. I see visitors coming. I see people hearing the good news of the gospel. I see people getting saved. And I think, wow, something's happening here, you know. And then we hear about the problems and the troubles. And being an elder, I'm privy to a lot of stuff that you're not burdened with. And so I see the troubles that some of the saints are going through. I see the attacks. And, 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 and the saints, the believers here, see them from afar. They're going, what is going on? What's happening? Yeah. And I'm reminded of what I learned from Scripture. We are at war. There's a battle. We have an enemy. And you know, one thing I learned about the enemy, Satan, he doesn't waste his ammunition. If you're suffering attacks, it might very well be for a very good reason. You know? Um, you're making advances against the kingdom of darkness with the truth of the gospel. That's exciting. But there's a price to be paid. The enemy is very active. And so I don't usually give a, mess, uh, a title of my sermons. They always ask me for one. I say, well, you think of one. But I, I think of this title, Christianity or being a Christian is not for the faint of heart. It's not. Bill McDonald used to tell me, you know, growing old is not for sissies. <laughs> And I'm beginning to know what he means. But Christianity is not for the faint of heart. If you're living a happy, carefree life as a Christian, you might want to consider that you're not much of a threat to the enemy. If you are, 
you're going to be persecuted. <laughs> That's what Jesus taught. And so when I think about that, everything comes into perspective. And I want to think of things in that light this morning. That we are at war. There will be casualties. And you will play a part in it one way or another. Even if you're on the sidelines. Satan's not happy with that. He'll use you on the sidelines against what the Lord's doing. So we need to think about, well, what part do I want to play and what sacrifices am I willing to make? Now, through the years, I've seen a lot of shipwrecked Christians. A lot of people that have bailed, you know, on what the Lord was wanting to do in their life, where the Lord wanted to use them. And I, and I have to say, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would have been that person many, many times. You know? Because in my natural state, I'm a quitter from day one. I don't like something, I quit. And I have examples to prove it through high school. They were going to um, make me, give me the award, the athlete of the year in my senior year, but they all oh, remember he quit water polo that year. You know? If it doesn't go my way, I'll quit. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so that's what happened. But I haven't been able to quit Christ, and I haven't been able to quit His work, because the Lord, His hand, He hasn't let me. You know? But I survey those that have, and I see a common ingredient I want to bring before you this morning, that I want to bring before you. Just what is it that uh, makes us vulnerable? Just what is it that gives Satan leverage in our lives? Because if you're a true Christian, you don't want that to happen. Because it does affect eternity. Christianity is not for the faint of heart. Now, when I grew up, we used to, as a family, watch war movies. I still like war movies. Not that I like people getting killed. No, that's not the case. But, you know, war has a way of testing a person's character. How do, are they going to react in certain situations? When their buddy's life's on the line, are they going to be cowardly and run? Are they going to be heroic? And stand in the gap, you know. You see some people just under the duress and trauma of war, they go crazy. They lose their mind, you know. People want to run. People want to hide. Or people stand up to the plate. They step up to the plate. And they get united with their fellow soldiers. And they make great exploits. Well, spiritual warfare is like that. So I want to think about that. But I want to make clear that the Lord Jesus Christ, in His teaching, He didn't leave anybody in the, in the dark. He makes it plain and simple in Scripture what's really going on. And so I want to look at some of that, uh, those verses, because I didn't know all these verses when I first got saved. But you know what? I wanted, I wanted eternal life. I wanted to know the Lord. I wanted forgiveness of my sins. And whatever comes after that, oh well, right? John 15, we read, This commandment I give you that you love one another. You know, that's an effective defense against the enemy. Is when those that know the Lord love one another. If the world hates you, now here's the key. If the world hates you, you knew that it has hated me before it hated you. This is the Lord Jesus Christ talking. I think we're in verse 17-ish, somewhere around there. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me. Before, uh, it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. 
Okay, so the Lord, you know, one of the things in warfare is you have to know your enemy, right? And here we find the enemy is the world. Well, what does that mean, the world? It's the world system without God. It's everything that goes contrary to God. If you're a true Christian and you live up to being a Christian and you fly those colors, you will be persecuted. Because the world's going to hate you, just like it hated the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have to make a decision. Do I want to be hated by the world? I don't care. I don't care if the world hates me. I care that the Lord loves me. I care that I have eternal life. And I care about eternity more than this life. And that's the way it should be for a Christian. It, here's, you, want to, you want to never suffer defeat at Satan's hands? Consider the world as nothing to you. Who cares? Who cares about worldly success? Who cares about worldly financial prosperity? Who cares about worldly health? Everything that it can offer pales in significance to the glory to be received when he returns to those that live faithfully for him. You live like that, he's got very little hold on you. Sure, it could be tested. Does he really care about that, his body of his? Let's, let's touch his body. And God might say, go ahead. He's up to it. She's up to it. Like Job. Are you willing to be hated by the world? Yeah. You know, it's easy to say yes, isn't it? But when you're out there with your friends, your workmates, your fellow students, even maybe even your family... And it gets put to the test, you might find out that the, the attachment there is a little stronger than you thought, or that you would like to think. When Jesus, um, Jesus made it plain what was involved in Luke chapter 9, he says, And they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You're going to follow me? I got zero vested interest in this world as far as material possessions, as far as a place to live, as far as comforts concerned. Are you sure you want to follow me? Is it worth it? And he said to another, follow me. But he said, permit me first to go bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. You see what's hidden there? What's hidden there should be the priority of everyone that knows the Lord. Let the dead bury the dead. People, well, I got to do this. I got to, I got to go to work. I got to run a business. I got to do, do my car. I got to fix my house. Let the dead bury the dead. If you're a Christian and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have something the world cannot offer, and that's the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for sinners. That's what we should be focusing on, wherever we go. Let the dead bear the dead. Unsaved people can do that. Those that don't know the Lord could do that. Let them do that. You do something that only you can do. You share the gospel. You win souls for eternity. You win the battle. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Let me go, let me go home. <laughs> Say goodbye to people first. Is the kingdom of God a priority to you? Um, I remember this missionary, Floyd Pierce. And uh, 
he told me, he says, we think alike. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, if the Lord said, let's go to heaven right now, you'd get up and go, wouldn't you? I go, yeah. He goes, so would I. <laughs> you know. If the Lord called you right now, walk out that door and you're in eternity, would you go? Would you walk out that door or would you say, no, wait a minute, I've got to go home and do this first. I've got to say goodbye to this person. I've got to leave a note for that person. Or would you just go? It gives you an idea of how you value it. You know, how important it is to you. There's a war going on. In fact, in, in Ephesians it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Attacks. You know, I am confident that most Christians, as they enter into the Christian life, as they accept the Lord, they have no idea. And, for, and, and, and even 30, 50 years afterwards... Christian kid get caught off guard at the schemes of the devil. Wow, I never thought he could operate that way. I never thought he would get in there, but he does. Why? How? What is it that he exploits in us? Got to know our enemy. So the enemy is the world. Who else is the enemy we mentioned? Satan's the enemy, right? He's very real. Very real. But there's one more enemy we don't we don't recognize, and that's what does us in most of the time. The enemy is you. The enemy is me. I'm my own worst enemy. You're your own worst enemy, believe it or not. When Satan attacks, he goes for the inner you. He appeals to the you. And he could twist you all around. And he oftentimes does. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the... World forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. I, I think where most people suffer the greatest defeat is when they rely on their own understanding. Their own way of thinking. They'll even take scriptures and jumble it around and walk away with what they think is a pretty solid argument. <laughs> but it's not. Satan's pretty clever at that. He's pretty clever. So how does that play out? How does that play out? I have to consider, if I want to see victory in my life, I have to consider Christ, His kingdom, more important than anything. The moment I don't, I'm vulnerable. What's more important than Christ in my life? Is it my health? I'm vulnerable. Is it my family? I'm vulnerable. Is it my job? I'm vulnerable. Is it what people think about me? I'm vulnerable. He can exploit every single one of those to bring about our fall and our destruction. Is it happiness? I'm vulnerable. Anything but the Lord. If the Lord is in the focus of your eye, that's one thing Satan can't take away. Anything else, God could let him touch. Like with Job. But he won't allow the Lord to be taken away from you. So if that's your sole treasure, and that's where your heart is, how are you vulnerable? You're not. You're the strongest you can possibly be. And I've been amazed through the years what people have shown what vulnerabilities. Pillars in the church. Vulnerable. Because of themselves. 
what was important to them. You know, we have a term, sacred cows. There are certain things you cannot touch in a person's life. Do not put your finger on that, because if you do, I'm out of here. <laughs> that might be the exact thing the Lord wants to put his finger on. And I've seen people bail because of that. And it wasn't me putting my finger on it. A lot of those cases, I wasn't even involved. And it's funny when somebody asks a question, you answer it, and they get offended. Why? Because the Lord's putting their finger on something in somebody's life. And they don't want to open up their hand. The Lord will never have you release your grasp on something without something better that he wants to put in there. It's the way he is. But we cling to things that we think are important. And we're convinced that they should be important because God wants them to be important in our life. No. He wants your relationship with him to be most important. And, And the minute I say, you know... I think God wants me to do this. You know, I'm going to do it no matter what. How do you know that's the best? How do you know that's God's will? You know, I, have the, I always go back in my thinking to, to my apprentices because sometimes, it just happened yesterday. You know, I, I'm explaining something and I'm giving an answer. And as soon as I, figure, as soon as I get done explaining something, somebody asked me the question. He asked the question that I just got through answering. I go, apparently you weren't listening. But I just answered that question. Let me answer it again. You know? And everybody's rolling their eyes like, yeah, didn't you, weren't you listening? Yeah. And, and I've said this a number of times, and, and, and I'm not saying this about you, but I've seen people fall because they didn't heed this warning. You know? It says in Jeremiah 17.9 that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? It's tricky. Deceitful. So if you're going to trust in your own understanding, listen to what God has to say. First of all, he says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Seems right. I'm talking about Christians. Oh yeah, I can pull this verse out. Yeah, that seems right. God says, seems right. But if you're misapplying the verses, if you're not taking into consideration the whole of Scripture... To know what that means, you can make Scripture say anything you want to make say. The Lord says, Behold, all of you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire, and among the brands you have set ablaze. This you will have from my hand, you will lie down in torment. That's what the Lord says. Go ahead, light your torches so you can see, and walk in the light that you've created. Not God's light, not God's direction, but your light. This is what you'll have for me. You'll lie down in torment. Not a good path to follow. See how we can be our own worst enemy? I've heard some remarkable things said that, oh, this is God's will. God wants me to do this. Really? Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what he wants. It can't stand the scrutiny of Scripture, all of Scripture. You know? and, and as an elder, I've been privy to things that, um, that really amaze me because I have two elders. Do you know that? I have two elders that I, I, I don't expect anyone here to do anything I don't do. When those two elders speak, I listen. 
And if I'm in disagreement and they're united, it used to be three of them, three of them, but now it's two. I'm wrong. Done. You know what I've done? I've taken away leverage that Satan would otherwise have. I'm willing to say I'm wrong. And that's scriptural guidelines. The counsel of the elders. Now, you know, the scripture also says in the multitude of counselors is wisdom, right? I don't care who you are. I don't care who you know. You know how to get the counsel you want. You know who to go to. I've seen people go to counsel, go to their own children for counsel. Go to their neighbors for counsel. Go to professionals for counsel. And there's sometimes the elders will suggest that you go to a professional. Maybe, maybe there's a medical condition. Maybe there needs to be an evaluation. And the, counsel, and the elders will say, well, this is our counsel to you. Because we want to know that first, right? Okay, but you can go to all the counsel you want, but it doesn't hold the scriptural blessing of being obedient to God. And I know that the elders have no ulterior motive to steer me in one direction or the other. Because they're going to have to answer to God for that. They want my best. And I want your best. And quite frankly, we uh, I've never communicated with a group of individuals more than I communicate with the elders. I mean, we're on the phone like, you think Don's on the phone a lot. After he gets done talking with somebody else, then he calls me. Then we call Howard. Why? Because there's a very heavy weight of responsibility in this warfare to take care of our own. And we want to do that the best way we know how. And we have the best tool for doing it. And somebody might say, well, you're not educated men. Who cares? Either we're the disciples. This is all the education I need right here. Right? And guess what? If I get this wrong, i got two other men to straighten me out. Right? And if you get this wrong, you got three. So if you go against the council of the elders, who in the fear of God are looking here for the answer... Don't walk away saying you're an you're uneducated man or, oh, I found other counselors that say other things that are different. Well, they're not going to have to give answer to your soul, right? And you're not going to have the blessing of God for having obeyed their counsel. You'll have the blessing of God in obeying the counsel of your elders. And, that, and I've had this experience before where one time um, Rick Bellis confided in me that they made a mistake in counseling, giving me counsel. I've never told anybody that, especially not from the pulpit. But he did say that. And you know what else he said? He said, but because you obeyed, even though you felt it wasn't right, God blessed you anyway. And I learned a valuable lesson. God will back that up. If he says to obey the counsel of the elders and they make a mistake, a sincere, honest mistake, God will bless you anyway. God will make sure you get the blessing because you're obeying. And the elders in the fear of God are trying to do their best. Another way Satan gets the victory is when, you know, we put conditions on the Word of God. Like the Bible says, children, obey your parents. Wives, subject yourselves to your husbands. Saints, obey the counsel of the elders. I'll tell you one thing. If you're waiting for perfection on the part of the other person, I'm not going to obey my parents because they're not perfect. Well, yeah, if you'd start acting like a parent, then maybe I'll obey you. What? You know? Yeah, you're not a perfect husband. How can I obey you? Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm not. 
I'm doing the best I can, and sometimes I'd have to confess I'm not doing the best I can, you know? But that God doesn't put conditions on it. God doesn't say, obey your husband only when he's like Christ, only when he's perfect. You know, you want a blessing, obey God no matter, no matter what. My boss, and I know what it is to obey authority. I go to work, and I have a boss to answer to. He has a boss, which sort of makes him my boss too. I know what it is to obey, and I know it has to be, yes, sir. You know, and, I don't, and, 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 and he doesn't want to have an attitude about it. He wants me to cheerfully do what he wants. And, that, and I receive a blessing for that. The minute I start changing my attitude, that's when Satan can get in there as my enemy, and, get, and I'm down for defeat on that one. And it affects the kingdom of God because my testimony could be poor. Casualties, casualties. There will be casualties when we don't heed the word. Heed the word. And we have to not only trust God's word and follow God's word, we have to distrust ourselves. And a lot of people don't like that. You know, distrust myself? Yeah. If you've got a heart like mine, it's deceitfully wicked, it can fool you. Distrust that heart. Trust the word of God. Well, how do I know if I'm getting the word of God right? Well, ask counsel. You know, if you're a child, ask your parent. If you're a wife, ask your husband. If you're a husband, ask the elders. And that's the safeguard God gives us. And it's remarkably effective if it's followed. And the illustration I have is when I was in high school, I took a pilot's course, aviation class. And they got two free, uh, two free 10-hour flying lessons that they were going to give away to the two top students. Well, I was a class clown. And I could breeze through with a B. But get an A, I'd have to work. But I was behind the eight ball on that one because there were people that were like straight-A students. So I thought, that's not for me. No way. Too, too late in the quarter, right? Well, then she said, whoever passes the private pilot's written test, you get 100 points. And that beats the five points for the test, the two points for the quiz. That would put me at the top. So I studied and studied and studied and studied and studied, took several tests, failed, 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 started pass, 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 and then I took down a, the, took the uh, FAA private pilot's test at the uh, FAA in Oakland, and I was the only one that passed it. So I won 10 free hours of flying lessons. And then that was boring. It's just a lot of open blue sky. It doesn't feel like you're going anywhere. It's not like a motorcycle, you know? <laughs> so I, after six hours, I said, forget it, you know? But, you know, I learned something along the way. There's what's called an instrument rating. If you want to fly, like, at night, or if you want to fly where, through clouds where you can't see anything, you have to have what's called an instrument rating. And um, that's another rating on top of your private pilot's uh, license. And the way it works is that you have to learn to trust those instruments above and beyond the senses in your body. Because that's how people die. You're in a cloud. You don't know what, uh, what words up and words down because you can't see anything. And you know you have G-forces in the plane and the wind buffeting you. And next thing you know, you think you're in a climb. And so you want to level out. And you're heading down into a mountainside. <laughs> Crash, die. And that happens quite often. So you have to learn not to trust your senses. That's a very hard thing to do. How do they do it in training? Well, they have a tinted screen that they, you know, the screen of the airplane, the windshield and the sides, they put a tinted screen on it. And they have another set of tinted goggles that you wear. And so you can't see outside the plane, but you can see your instruments. The tester beside you, he could see both. 
because he's not wearing any goggles. Okay. So you have to learn, read the instruments, and fly by instruments. Only. And he'll put you in situations where your body will feel like it's doing something that you don't like. And if you look at those instruments and they say it's not doing that and you act as if it is and you correct, he knows you're not trusting the instruments. You're not going to pass. That's how the Christian life has to be lived for victory. You trust the Word of God. You trust God's way of doing things. Regardless of how you feel about it personally. Regardless as it feels like I'm going down. You're not. Trust the instruments. Trust the Word of God. Trust God's way of doing things. And you know, when you have three elders saying, yeah, it's not there, that's wrong, and you're saying, yeah, it is, you're wrong. I'm sorry, you're not trusting the instruments. You know? and, and, and the only vested I have, interest I have is love for you, wanting to see you have victory, because you have victory, we have victory, Christ has victory. Nobody wants to see someone going down. So we need to keep that before us. A healthy distrust of your own senses and a healthy trust in God's word and his way of doing things. But still, there's going to be casualties. Because there are people that will not either hear that, will not follow that, or in a panic situation, they won't obey. And that's sad. But you know what? Praise God, he's a God of restoration. And there's one solution, and it's we go right back to the Word of God. If anybody falls into sin, repent, confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. And I, and I keep going back to Peter. Peter denied the Lord with cursings. That's pretty bad. You know? and, and I'm not being critical of Peter. I'm saying it's pretty bad that, look, the Lord forgave him and restored him. And look at the effective life he had after that. So what's worse? Fallen into sin, which we all do. And we all know what that's like. That's a defeat, right? But there's a much bigger defeat or victory that comes after that. Okay, now what am I going to do? I've fallen. What am I going to do? I'm going to do what the Scripture says. I'm going to repent and confess it to the Lord. I'm going to be restored. And I'm going to turn this defeat into a victory. Or the person that doesn't do that. You know? I mean, the Lord's testimony is on the line here. And it's not... Whether we fall, it's when we fall, what do we do? That's the bigger testimony. You know? and, and, and we don't want to see Satan get the victory by having a person not get back up, not be restored to effective service. That's sad. Distrust yourself. Trust God. One thing I want to finish with is, you know, you read about this, and it happens more often than you think. You know? Um, it's called friendly fire. It happens in war. That's when uh, it's called blue on blue. Your own troops fire on you, and people die. And, and there's so many examples um, that you can get, uh, and, and it's still understated. So this one on March 28, 2003, during the Iraq invasion, four British armored vehicles were carrying out forward reconnaissance when they were spotted by two A-10 Thunderbolt II ground attack aircrafts. The American pilots spotted the orange air recognition panels on the vehicles, but misidentified them as orange rockets. 
on enemy vehicles. After confirming with a ground forward air controller that they were clear of any friendly forces, the aircraft strafed or strafed, strafed or strafed, strafed the vehicles twice. Two Smiter light tanks were destroyed in the attack. Five British soldiers were wounded and one killed. And that's one of the lighter examples. Friendly fire. Friendly fire. You know, Christians can suffer friendly fire too. You know that? I, you know, I never knew how bad it was before I became, became an elder, to tell you the truth. I thought I was in the thick of the battle being a missionary, but that's nothing compared to being a shepherd of the flock of God. Yeah. And um, Satan gets the victory when that happens. And, and Don, you know, he wouldn't tell you this, but you'd be surprised how much friendly fire he falls under. And there's very few people that would love you more than Don would. I can't believe uh, how much I've grown to love and respect that man for his love for God and his shepherding heart. And I want to tell you, he shepherded my heart many times. Steered me in the right direction, straightened me out in a very kind and loving way. And yet when I hear some of the criticisms, I, I'm thinking, I'm reminded of, I just want to leave you with this illustration because really this is what it's like. And um, I was told by Tom, I have to tell you that this is not real. It's plastic. Could you raise the screen, please? Plastic. But friendly fire. It's when you take pot shots at people. You know, um, those that love you, those that maybe tell you something you don't want to hear, right? And you say unkind things about them, maybe behind their back, and it spreads around, you know? And it's friendly fire, and it's destructive, you know? So, friendly fire. It happens in a Christian life. It shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. Um... What do you think of God's servants? There's a story in the Old Testament where Miriam, Moses' sister, was critical of him. She criticized him. And God struck her with leprosy. (laughs) And she had to wait outside the camp, I think it was for seven days. God takes it seriously when his under-shepherds experience friendly fire. It's not good for the flock. It certainly hurts them. And I'm not taking it from personal experience because I don't feel I've received that. But I've seen him receive it and deal very graciously with it. But if we want to see victory in the Christian life in our assembly, we need to be mindful that we're at war. And if there are casualties, no one feels it more than the elders do. And we usually know exactly what's going on. We can't divulge all the details, and we don't want to. It's something you were never meant to bear. And the only reason we can bear it is because God gives us strength. But we care about this body. And and quite frankly, as time has gone on, I've been brought to care about it more and more and more. And that's God's lesson for me in being a shepherd. We want to see victory. We want to see victory in your life. We want to see victory in the assembly. We want to see God glorified. But make no mistake about it, it's a war. 
And there's going to be attacks. And we need to take courage in the fact that the world hated Jesus. It's going to hate us. Right? But he's on our side. The Lord's on our side. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for giving us the pleasure of taking your name in the midst of hostile territory, Lord. We do pray, and we thank you so much, first of all, that you have brought us together to be more united. We think of the attacks that we've been experiencing, Lord, and we know that it's because uh, we've been obeying you. We've been uh, seeing people come in. We've been preaching the gospel, Lord, and uh, advancing the kingdom, Lord, with your strength and help. And so we just pray that you'd help us to slow down, take stock, and look at ourselves, examine ourselves. If we're relying too much on our own understanding, Lord, if we are um, backbiting and complaining, perhaps um, exchanging friendly fire, that you'd help us to see, Lord, um, how destructive that is in the work. We do pray that you would help us to be mindful of our mission here, and that's to see people saved, to share the gospel, Lord, and not be distracted uh, by minor skirmishes over uh, petty things in our own lives, Lord. But that we keep everything in perspective. Where we ask it for your glory and your name. Amen.